Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel and Evangelism sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Lord, I thank you for this time, for bringing us here by your grace. May you use me, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. May your people not hear me or see me, but hear and see you, Lord. Move me out of the way. Holy Spirit, do a work in me. Let the people not hear my words, but hear your words, Lord. Prepare their hearts, prepare their ears, prepare their minds for what's about to come forth. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So, we are continuing our series of the gospel and evangelism. For the first three weeks, we learned... What the gospel is, (laughs) don't worry, I'm not going to ask you what the gospel is. The gospel is the one and only true God who is holy, who is creator, who is judge over the entire universe, who is judge over his creation, chose out of his loving kindness to do what? To create man. Man was created in his image. Man was made perfect. Man was a representation of us. God placed man in the Garden of Eden. There man was to work the garden. He was to keep the garden. He was to expand the presence of God to the ends of the earth. But instead, man chose to sin. And as a result, we are separated from God. That's bad news. And if we were left there, then, then there would be no hope. But God comes in the likeness of man lives the life we should have lived, dies the death we deserve, rises from the dead, which signified that God had accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the behalf of all those whom he died for. That's great news. But it gets even better. Because if you repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ alone, not only will you not see death, but you will have everlasting life. You will have reconciliation back to God and forgiveness of your sins. That's the greatest news. We all should say amen. amen. That's wonderful, wonderful news. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is great news. That's a brief description of the gospel. We learn that our motivations for sharing the gospel is our love for God and our obedience for God, but also our love to see sinners turn to Jesus Christ. Amen. We learn that the gospel also speaks of how the unbeliever must repent of their sins and how they must turn to Christ, but also the, fo- the cost of following Christ will cost you your life. It's important to relay those two truths to the unbeliever. We learn what evangelism isn't. Evangelism isn't imposition, meaning we don't impose our beliefs on anyone, um, because no matter how hard we try, God is the only one who opens the heart. We can't coerce, we can't force anyone to believe the gospel. Uh, Evangelism isn't our personal testimony. I remember growing up, and uh, I remember hearing people's personal testimonies. They would go about 30 minutes talking about how bad they were, everything that they used to do. And then they would give a five-minute conversion story or a five-minute story about how Christ changed them, saved them, and, and, and all of that. And in all honesty, guys, um, we all have the same personal testimony. We all were sinners saved by grace. That's our personal testimony. Last week, I gave a brief dis- defense of who should evangelize. And the Bible is very clear that all those who profess Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior must 
evangelize. Uh, the New Testament is very clear on that. Uh, the Great Commission, go on to all the world, make disciples. What do we see in Acts? We see not only the apostles, but we see everyone else who is saved turn around and spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we know the gospel. We have the right motivations to evangelize. We know that we as Christians must evangelize. The question we have before us tonight is, how should we evangelize? How should we evangelize? How should we take this gospel, how do we take this good news to the ends of the earth? Or to the ends of Bakersfield. We learn that evangelism isn't rallies. Evangelism isn't concerts or programs. Evangelism isn't giving people money. I used to think that. Or passing out food, which many people think. Those are avenues or those are means by which we can evangelize. But those in itself isn't evangelism. Evangelism is, is when we gospel, when we, when we are gospeling, we are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's evangelism. Rallies, concerts, programs, those are times when people just get together and, and just want to mingle with each other. There's not much gospeling going on there. And, and trust me, I've been in those circles, and I know how those things go. Uh, is there a certain strategy that we must use when we evangelize? Should we do what the Mormons do or what Jehovah's Witnesses do? We knock on doors, and do we invite people to cults? Um, but what strategy should we use? According to wiki.com, there is a strategy that we should use, and, and it gives us some steps. Let me, give you, let me give you two. The first step is pick an appropriate location and time. If you want to get out and share your message with as many receptive people as possible, let them come to you and not you to them. That's weird because people don't normally walk up to people and ask religious and theological questions unless you're a pastor at the marketplace. Nobody does that. And, and if it says you want people to come to you, well, what do you do then? Do you wear a shirt that says, if you have any questions about the Bible, come to me? Or do you have a sign over your head that says, if you, ask, if you have any theological questions about Jesus or about your life or about the world or anything, come to me? It doesn't really make sense. You have to go to them. I'm also against the suggestion of, of picking an appropriate time and location. I think personally that's, that's a bad, bad idea. I think that's wonderful when a group wants to get together or a church wants to get together as a collective whole and evangelize. But personally, I feel that spontaneous or organic evangelism works the best because it's more natural. It's more real. It's more genuine. Step two, prepare your personal message. Make an outline and mark particular verses or stories from the Bible you hope to evangelize, hope to highlight in your evangelism. Also, prepare stories from your own life as a believer that might serve to interest someone to becoming a member of your church. Wherever you think will connect with people in a personal way is appropriate. You might share favorite verses, stories, important verses, the story of your faith, the history of your church. So, in other words, use your personal testimony. And we know that's, that's wrong in some areas. That's, that's not going out and evangelizing. That's not the gospel. Uh, but notice how the website says, prepare your personal message where, like I said, there's no mention of the gospel. And quite frankly, the only preparation that you should be doing when you're going to go out to evangelize is pray. 
That's the only preparation you should be doing. You can go over, uh, like me sometimes, I'll listen to a debate, because nine times out of ten, I meet people that just want to debate. I don't know what it is, God just sends them my way. Um, or, or, I'll, or other than that, I'll, I'm just praying that, that the Holy Spirit will move inside of me, that God will draw people to me, um, and, and I will be able to share the gospel to them. But there are many approaches that we can take when considering the question of how should we evangelize. Uh, there's the famous way of the way of the master approach. Anyone ever heard of the way of master approach? Okay, good. Uh, when a person's evangelizing, uh, that one person who's evangelizing uses the Mosaic Law, or I should say the Ten Commandments, uh, to reveal to people their sin. So the conversation would go something like this. The Christian would say, do you consider yourself a good person? The unbeliever says, uh, yes. The Christian would then walk them through a certain amount of questions, such as, how many lies have you told? Have you ever stolen something? Uh, have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Have you ever looked at a man or a woman with lust? This is followed by a brief summary of the unbeliever's admissions because they're going to say yes to all those things, normally. And then they would ask them a question that would go like this. In light of your own admission, if God were to judge you by the standard of the Ten Commandments, do you think you'd be found innocent or guilty? And where would you go? Would you go to heaven or hell? More than likely, they will say hell, and then that is your way to, to explain the gospel to them. And that is a very good method. That's a very powerful method. The only problem with that method is it, it should only be used for people who have not heard that method before. I know pastor has said to me before and has said to you that he has tried that method on other people. And, and when they say that they have heard that method before, it, it turns into a game. It turns into some type of mockery. And like, yeah, well, yeah, I've, I've done that. Oh, of course I've lusted. You have to, you know. So it turns into that. Another way we can evangelize is open-air preaching. There's nothing wrong with that. Find a box, find a megaphone, preach the gospel. Uh, I think that's a wonderful method to use. Uh, the only pitfall I think that, that it has is it, it tends to attract uh, atheists who just want to debate or people who just have just questions who, 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 are, um, who are very harsh. Um, and then when that happens, then it turns into just a live debate. You, are now, you have now went from gospeling to debating. And the people who are around you are just watching two people debate, seeing who can get the upper hand on each other. Uh, and then I don't, that can be some benefits, but nine times out of ten, it's not. So those are two methods of evangelism. Um, and I'm sure that some fruit have come about but in my honest opinion, there isn't a way, there isn't a how-to way that we should evangelize. Because we're always in different environments, and we're always talking to different people. In evangelism, we always want to go to where people are at, and, at, and where their curtain setting is at, and what's happening at their lives at that particular time. And if every believer was to evangelize the same way, then, quite honestly, our evangelism wouldn't be genuine. It would be just a list of rules that we need to do, that, that we go by. So tonight, instead of giving you a 12-step program or list of how we should evangelize, I want to give you three practical ways in which your evangelism can be more effective. And at the end, I'll list just some, some more suggestions on how we can spread the gospel. Uh, these three ways are honesty, urgency, and joy. How we share the gospel, how should we share the gospel, honesty, 
urgency and joy. First, we should evangelize honestly. <clears throat> honestly. Meaning, when we evangelize, we don't try to use different tactics that would undermine the gospel or use words that would stir up emotion in order for us to get a reaction that would disgrace the gospel. We don't try to use tactics and we don't try to use words to stir up emotion that would, that would cause more harm than good. We don't manipulate the unbeliever in believing something that the gospel doesn't represent. We want to be honest in our evangelism. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Here, Paul is refusing to use cunning devices or tamper with the gospel message, but to preach the truth to everyone with honesty. There's another way we can be dishonest in our evangelism, and that is the way we deliver the gospel message. I know of people who don't like confrontation, who don't like to get into arguments, who don't like to be negative, and simply who don't like to tell people the truth. So what do they do? They leave out the bad news of the gospel. One way we can be dishonest in our presentation of the gospel is leaving out the bad news of the gospel. It's like giving someone a contract. You know, when you get a contract and, and the, the, the little print is at the bottom where you can't see. No, we take that little print and we bring it up bold when we evangelize. We have to bring out the bad news of the gospel. If we leave out man's rebellion against God and their sinful condition, then what use is of Jesus? There is no use of a savior. We, we don't need him. In simple terms, without your diagnosis of cancer, it doesn't matter that chemotherapy exists. Without you knowing that you have broken God's holy law, thereby you are a sinner who stands under the just wrath of God. Jesus coming as a perfect substitute, as a perfect sacrifice for you, means nothing. Do not leave out the bad news of the gospel. People who do this are normally the people who who think evangelism, and I used to think this, I'm sure you have thought this as well, is we simply go up to people and we tell them, Jesus loves you, and we leave it there. What do you do there? At that point, you are now giving the sinner his medicine without telling him his problem. That's not honest evangelism. First, we manipulate, <clears throat> that is first manipulative, but... We are giving the sinner their cure before explaining to them their condition. In order for Jesus Christ to shine like the diamond that he is, you ever, women, you can attest to this, when you go look for a ring, or men, when you go look for a ring, what do they do first? They put that black velvet backdrop so that diamond can shine. That's what we do. We, we place that black velvet backdrop on the table in order for man can, so they can see their sin they can see themselves for who they are. It is that mirror that we put on the table. And then we talk to them about Christ. The gospel is a very offensive message. But let's remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. 
when we, Jesus was talking to the woman of the well in John 4. What does Jesus do? He goes straight for the heart. He exposes that woman's sin. You've had five foul marriages, and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. And then what does he do now? What does he do next? And then he graciously offers himself to her. That's what we must do. John Calvin says in chapter one of his Institutes, on the other hand, it is evident that man never attains a true self-knowledge until he had previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. And I love this quote, for such is our innate pride. We always seem to ourselves just upright, wise, folly, until we are convinced by clear evidence of our injustice, vileness, folly, and impurity. This is what we must communicate to the unbeliever, that they will, <coughs> excuse me, that they will never be able to see God for who he is, and they will never be able to rejoice in Christ for what he has done until they first see themselves for who they are. That, that's what we must do when we present the gospel. And don't be ashamed to tell people who they are. <clears throat> we are not telling people, we are not trying to make ourselves better, better than them. Because we're all coming from the same root. We're just basically saying, hey, you're a sinner. I was a sinner. Christ did this for me. And, and if you repent, it can be yours also. Another way we can be dishonest in our evangelism is using prosperity and health and wealth to get an emotional reaction from people. This is very, very common. Uh, I watched and, and, and I, I needed to repent after a preach-off. Five heretical preachers were on Arsenio Hall, and they did a preach-off. They gave them two minutes to just preach the word, and all they talked about was health, wealth, and prosperity. For example, the way Christians evangelize is they tell the unbeliever, if they come to Jesus, their life will get better. Jesus never promised wellness physically. Paul tells us, Paul, Paul tells us, Paul tells that to us in 2 Corinthians 12, 14. That is why I take pleasure in my weakness and in my insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak and I am strong, Romans 5, pastor has a great sermon on this, tells us to glory in our sufferings because they produce character. And if we look down church history, the call to follow Christ is not always a bed of roses, but it's a call to suffer for the sake of Christ. We don't call people to receive the benefits of Christ, but we call people to Christ, the God-man. And then all of those benefits just flow right from under that. This connects to why we must tell the sinner what the cost of following Jesus will be. Suffering, hardships, trials will arise. But we look to Jesus as our hope and our model. As it says in Hebrews 12, 2. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, in your Christian life, sufferings will come. Persecutions may come. But we look to Jesus, who is our model. Uh, one last problem I see with telling people that they can, what they can get from Jesus is that it appeals too much to what people want. Everyone wants to be healthy. Everyone wants to be wealthy. Everyone wants God on their side. But no one wants to hear what they actually need. They need forgiveness of their sin. They need to be reconciled back to God. They need to believe in the gospel. They need to believe in Jesus Christ. 
Charles Spurgeon said, no man can said can be no man can be said to preach the whole gospel of God if he knowingly and intentionally leaves out one single truth of the blessed God. If you leave out one part of the gospel, you're not preaching no gospel. So, brothers and sisters, be honest in your evangelism. And the only way we can do that is preach the whole gospel. Don't be ashamed to proclaim his name. Let's not hold back the bad truth of man's sinfulness. Let us not manipulate people's emotions. Let us simply preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Now let's look at urgency. When we evangelize, not only must we be honest, but we must be urgent in our call for sinners to repent of their sins. So you have to be honest, but you have to be urgent in your call. The gospel is not an optional message. And repentance is not a is not a thing where you go and take home and you think about. That's not repentance. The gospel is a message of life, a life that we are a life that's not promised tomorrow. So while there's still light, we urge sinners to turn from the darkness and turn to the light, turn to Jesus Christ. We urge men, we beseech men, we plead with men to turn to Christ. Since our motivation to evangelize is our love for people, then an expression of that love, and I think the highest expression of that love, is the urgency in which we plead to them to repent. There's no better way to tell people, to show people that we love them, than to plead with them, hey, you need to repent of your sins. People must repent, and people must believe now. Like Mark Dever says, we don't have time to wait for a bear deal to come along. When it comes to the gospel, there is no better deal. The gospel is not as like a cell phone plan. Where, 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 you know when you have a cell phone plan and, and, and you're comparing and, and contrasting prices. And there's not a Jesus 2.0 that's going to come later. You have to believe in the gospel today. We must urge men that forgiveness is being offered now. John 14.8 says, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, we have to urge and communicate that message to unbelievers because there is no other way to heaven. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as the writer of Hebrews says. No one has unlimited amount of time in this world. We in our evangelism must express our concern over their soul, even if they're not even concerned with it themselves. And I know at times we're quick to walk away. I am, I am... I used to do this when people would reject me. I would just, in the back of my head and under the, the tip of my tongue, just say, all right, whatever, you're going to hell. We should not do that. That should not be our attitude. When they are pushing us away, pushing us away that should give us more passion, more urgency to make sure that they understand who they are in Christ, but also who they are outside of Christ. Any, anytime someone... Is, is pushing me away from speaking the gospel. I just tell them, hey, can you give me 30 seconds? Just give me 30 seconds. And usually they do. And in that 30 seconds, I do offer, the, I do offer Christ to them. But also, I'm going to leave there with, with who they are outside of Christ. And I want that, that idea of them going to hell to eat away at their conscience. Because it's a reality. If you don't accept Christ, that's where you're headed. <clears throat> our hearts must break over the loss. As George Whitfield once said, if you will not cry over your own soul, I will cry for you. That's the urgency we must have 
when we are preaching the gospel to unbelievers. And the Bible is very clear that we must be urgent in our call for sinners to repent. Acts 3.19, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In John 7, at the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last day of the feast, it reads, Jesus stood and said with a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow out of them. Let me give you a quick ex- ex- exposition of this verse. Normally, rabbis would sit while they teach. Jesus here stands. Jesus stands because he wants to be seen. Jesus knows that this opportunity of speaking to these people might be his last. So with a sense of urgency and with a sense of immediacy, he lifts his voice and he says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Jesus was urgent with his call. That's the urgency we must have as well. Let us be like our Lord who knew that the condition of man was so severe, he cries out and he speaks into the darkness. With great urgency, if anyone has ears to hear, come to the light. We must be vocal in our evangelism. We must capture the attention of all those who have ears. We must tell sinners that they need to be saved, and they need to be saved now. They need to come to Jesus Christ today. May we do this with passion, with intensity, with urgency. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to believe in Jesus Christ. And friends, being urgent in our evangelism is something that we do every time we speak to someone. Whether that be the person that we see every day at the workforce, the people who we are building relationship with, or the people who we'll never see again. We are, every time you talk to someone, we always are urging them, hey, have you repented of your sins yet? Every day. Because it's that serious. We must continue to urge them to repent because We are not promised another day. So let us evangelize with honesty. Let us evangelize with urgency. And last, let us evangelize joyfully. Joyfully. Honesty, urgency, and joyfully. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is the greatest news one can ever hear. Simply put. It's a wonderful thing to tell someone that in spite of their sin, Jesus has come to rescue you from eternal damnation. Being joyful about the gospel will indicate that the gospel is good news for, to you as well. Uh, and if it is not good news to you, if you don't find joy in the gospel, in telling people the gospel, then you need to go back to Gospel Class 101. Because you must have joy. The gospel must bring you joy. We must never get tired of, of hearing the great news of what Jesus Christ has done. We should, always be, we should also be joyful because God has chosen us to bring the good news to all creatures. God is using human instruments to declare what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. That forgiveness is being offered and eternal life is yours if you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Friends, that's, that's better news than, than your favorite team winning the championship. Or your kids getting all A's on the report card. Or even your kids being behaving. We put bumper stickers when our student is student of the month. It's Christmas time. We have an urgency to, and, 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 and we're joyful when we buy someone a gift. We want to tell them so bad. Well, how much more should we have 
when we have the greatest gift we can ever give someone. And I encourage you this Christmas season, if you have family and friends that you're going to see, what greater gift can you give them than to share the gospel with them? It would do you more good than, than, you, than you know. <clears throat> the fact that God has sent his son to die for his enemies is not only amazing, but it's a wonderful news that we should be excited to tell people. So that's the balance that we have in evangelism. We should be honest, we should be urgent, and we should be joyful. And let me give you quickly three other suggestions. First, before you're evangelized, pray. Pray. Uh, before we even attempt to evangelize, we should pray for boldness, for the Holy Spirit to use us as a witness, for the Holy Spirit to soften the hearts and incline the ears of those whom we will be speaking to and for opportunities to come our way so that we can share the gospel. When you're at your work first, before you even step out of the car, just pray for an opportunity. And nine times out of ten, and ten times out of ten, God will answer that prayer. I am, I am a, a testimony to that. Paul in Romans 10 says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul understood that even though he was a mighty instrument that God used to preach the gospel. Ultimately, it was God who was sovereign in man's salvation. And he prayed for man's salvation. We can't save anyone on our own accord. We can't force anyone to believe the gospel. We can, only, we can simply only go up to, un, to the unbeliever's ear. It is God that does the heart transplant. Pray that God will send his elect your way. And God will use you in a mighty way that we will... We depend on him completely and utterly. We should also pray regularly for our non-Christian friends and family to be saved. I know many of you already do that. Pray that God will use you, but also pray that God will send someone their way to share the gospel. We aren't the only voice in this world. So we should pray that other voices will go out and spread the good news of Jesus Christ, and that someone will bring them the gospel. The second is, is use church as an evangelism tool. Use church, use the church as an evangelism tool. Simply put, invite people to your church. And I know many of you are good and faithful at doing that, and I praise God for you. In our evangelism, we should always bring up the church. And the ways we can do that is by simply asking questions like, do you have a church background? Uh, what is your definition of what the church is? Uh, do you think that the church is harmful or helpful? Friends, any of those answers to those questions are gateways for you to communicate a clear biblical understanding of the local church. People have such a wrong definition of what the church is, and part of who's the blame is us. Many Christians have made church out to be only a safe haven for those who want to be good and stay out of trouble. But that's not the function of the church. The function of the church is not just for people to come and just be good people. The church is a collective gathering of God's saints who meet to glorify God through worship, the preaching of the word, and the ordinances. But also, it's for the saints to gather, to love one another, to fellowship with one another. As Mark Dever says, the church is the gospel made visible. The invisible God displays who he is through the church. So invite people to your to church and evangelism. It doesn't have to be our church. Uh, we are a good church. It can be a church, though, a good Bible-based church. And lastly, be faithful in your evangelism. Be faithful in your evangelism. Don't confuse the results of evangelism as evangelism. 
or don't confuse evangelism with the fruit of evangelism. I know many people, when we get to talk about evangelism, many reform guys, they want to talk about, okay, well, how many converts do you have? We are people who don't like wasting our time. We're Americans. And we want things now. We want to see progress now. But brothers and sisters, we should never think that because we don't see many people coming to Christ off of our evangelism, based off our evangelism, that we're wasting our time. We're never wasting our time. But simply put, you could be just the one who was just planting seeds. Or you could be the one who was watering. <clears throat> but ultimately, God makes things grow. One day you're talking to someone whose heart is as hard as stone. And the next day you might be talking to someone whose heart is as soft as soil. You never know who you're going to run into. And friends, don't ever get discouraged because you don't see much fruit in evangelism. Sometimes God delays such fruit to humble us. And, 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 and making us depend on him even more. And don't think, because of peop- don't think because of people's lack of acceptance to you sharing the gospel that you are doing something wrong. It may be that it's not time for God to bring that person to himself. We don't know. God is not interested in numbers uh, or how many people you have converted. Rather, your faithfulness and honesty in proclaiming his word. Let me give you one example of discouragement in the Bible, and I'll leave you with this. Acts 18, the verse that we, that we read in the beginning. Paul is in Corinth, and he's kind of discouraged in his evangelism. Um, there seems to be people not responding to the gospel. And look what the Word of God says in verse 9. Acts 18, verse 9 through 10 and 9 through 11. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in the vision and told him, Do not be afraid, but speak out. Don't be silent. The greatest news, for I am with you. And no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. Paul was discouraged. Paul wants to leave. What does God do? He ain't going nowhere. Because there's people in that city that have yet to be redeemed. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. God encourages Paul to stay faithful and stay diligent in spreading the gospel. And how many times do we need that in our own lives? What great encouragement that is. Brothers and sisters, nothing that you do for the Lord will be in vain. So let us proclaim this great news with honesty, with urgency, with joy. Let us be praying every day for opportunities to come for the sake of Christ's name and for the glory of God of the Father. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for allowing me to be a vessel of your word. Lord, I I thank you for, for giving me a platform to speak and proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that that someone got something out of that, that it was an, an encouragement to some, but Lord, Also, it brought conviction to others that we must be diligent in sharing the gospel to all of those who do not believe. In Christ's name I pray, amen.